The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his book, The World of the End, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, we'll send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. The Bible says that the world will experience a spiritual famine in the last days. A prophecy you can see is now being fulfilled. What can you do in response? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals some practical ideas from 2 Peter that Christians can do during this time of spiritual starvation. To introduce the conclusion of his message, a spiritual prophecy, spiritual famine, here's David. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are studying where do we go from here? And today is part two of a spiritual famine. The prophet Isaiah accurately described our generation when he wrote these words. He said, truth is fallen in the street, Isaiah 59, 14. Almost everywhere you look, we are turning a deaf ear to truth as we desperately seek for meaning and fulfillment in all the wrong places. While searching for truth, we are actually running away from the truth. Meanwhile, the truth goes from taught to tolerated to the public square and from believed to banned in our public schools. What was once the truth of faith and practice in our culture has been relegated to a negative icon used to illustrate the narrow-mindedness of our founding fathers. But there is such a thing as truth, and truth is the Word of God. And the prophet Amos said that in the last days there will be a famine of the Word of God. We're going to examine that a little bit more today as we pick up where we left off uh, on Friday. But first, let me just remind you that we have a copy of this book, Where Do We Go From Here?, that we'd like to send to you. This 240-page hardback book is the kind of the origination of these messages. And we would love to send you the book that gives you all of it in writing, all of the resources, all of the footnotes, all of the illustrations, all of the Bible texts. And the book is yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point. When you send your gift, be sure to ask for your copy of the book, Where Do We Go From Here? It's our way of saying thank you for investing in the ministry of the Word of God through Turning Point International. Well, let's get started with today's lesson as we open our Bibles once again and talk about spiritual famine. So as a pastor... I'm deeply concerned about the wayward theological patterns that are trending in churches everywhere. And it's not simply the liberal, old, Protestant, mainstream denominations that are diminishing their doctrines. It's evangelical churches who, in trying to reach a resistant audience, go too far in compromising biblical truth. For centuries, God's Word has been at the center of Christian preaching— Today, questioning scriptural authority is in vogue, even in certain faith communities. Popular speakers advocate processing God's Word through cultural filters rather than the other way around. So our heritage is being lost, and our theology is being weakened, and our Bibles are being overlooked. Mark Twain once defined a literary classic as a book which people praise but never read. 
Unfortunately, that describes the way many people in modern society approach the Bible. Are you for the Bible? Oh, yes. Do you ever read the Bible? Well, in all honesty, no. It doesn't help that cultures around the world are trying to minimize our Bible reading. China has just shut down Bible apps and Christian WeChat public accounts, and hard copies of the Bible are no longer available for sale online in China either. In America and the West, the Gideons are running into problems getting their Bibles into many hotel rooms. One of the most encouraging things, if you travel like I have, is you go into a hotel room and the stand next to your bed, you open the top drawer and there's a Gideon Bible in there. Not so. I've been in many hotels where that Bible is no longer present. A recent survey showed the percentage of hotels willing to offer Bibles in their rooms has dropped from 90% to 48%. Hotels are finding younger travelers who are less devout than their parents or grandparents, and they don't want to offend atheists or those of other religions. And one atheistic group, listen to this, created stickers for its members to attach to any Gideon Bible they did find in a hotel room, and the sticker said, quote, warning, Literal belief in this book may endanger your health and your life. And they take those stickers with them on their trips and they put them on the Gideon Bibles in the hotels. Or if they get into a Marriott, they put it on the Book of Mormon. I'd call that spiritual famine. I'd call that people who disregard the Bible, who someday may want a society that would be impacted by the Bible. If we take the Bible out of our culture... We may ultimately get what we want. A moral compass of Scripture will self-destruct from moral decay and decadence, and pretty soon we will just be immoral, amoral perhaps, without any morality at all. So what's happening in this famine is our heritage is being lost, our theology is being weakened, our Bibles are being overlooked, and our appetite is being ruined. That leads to my next thought. The reason we're facing a spiritual famine is because our appetite for God's truth is being ruined. A child that gorges on junk food and candy in the afternoon won't have much of an appetite for meat and potatoes at supper. In these last days, it seems as if Satan has unleashed an invisible spiritual virus that robs people of their appetite for God's word. But it's worse than that because it's not just a loss of appetite. It's a total distaste for the Bible. People grab a handful of Scripture, take a bite, find it distasteful, and spew it out like a child spitting out carrots. As likely as not, they'll dub it hate speech. And often we allow that to push us away, and then we don't preach the truth. Often God will respond to our lack of spiritual appetite with silence. He doesn't force his words into our ears. He may withdraw for a time if we lose our appreciation for the privilege of his voice, but God's silence may be hardly noticeable at first. You may still remember times when God spoke to you, but you gradually realize you haven't heard from him in a long time. If you realize you are in a drought, immediately seek God and ask him what adjustments you need to make in your life so that you can once again enjoy fellowship with him. It may be you've disobeyed his last instructions to you. Maybe he's waiting on your obedience before giving you fresh direction. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, or if you have a damaged relationship 
Get it right and do it now. By grace, we can stay healthy even during a large-scale spiritual famine. Paul told us to be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. And the psalmist described Scripture as sweeter than honey. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Men and women, everything about the Bible is special. It's God's gift to the human race. It's bread for the soul and honey for the heart. It's nourishment for your nerves (laughs) and wisdom for your mind. Every syllable represents God's thoughts conveyed through inspired human writers who recorded the infallible message for the world. In this way, the Lord has given us a book containing everything we really need for life and eternity. This book makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. It's portable. You can carry it anywhere. It's simple, it's perfect for children, it's deep, it's engaging, and it even engages Earth's greatest scholars. This is an incredible book, this book we call the Bible. And this is your book, as well as it is mine. Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am convinced that you cannot live the Christian life and avoid the Word of God. If we want to know the Word of God, we can know the Word of God. But we have to discipline ourselves to let the Word of God be a part of our lives. You don't get the Word of God by putting your Bible under your pillow at night. Osmosis doesn't work that way. You have to engage in the Bible. So, We've talked about where we are and what it means. Let's just talk for a few moments about where do we go from here. Based on everything we've learned, where do we go from here? What's our call to action? Near the end of the Bible, the Apostle Peter wrote two letters to the churches of his day, penning the final one shortly before his gruesome death by upside-down crucifixion. As he wrote those last words, one thing was on his mind, and that was making sure that no one forgot the message of the gospel or the teachings of the scripture. So I want to read to you some things that he wrote in his last letters. He said in 2 Peter 1.12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And he's talking about the Bible. In verse 15, he says, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And he's talking about eight things that he communicated in the early part of the chapter when he says, add to your faith knowledge, add to your knowledge. And he goes through this list and he says, remember these things. He kept reminding everybody. In 2 Peter 3, 1 through 3, he says, now I write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Remember now, Peter was about to check out. He was leaving this world. He was just about to die. But he wanted his message to remain, to never be forgotten, and to be passed down through the generations until Jesus returns. He longed for the gospel to expand, to explode throughout the earth. He wanted to repel spiritual famine. And that same zeal must grab hold of you, and it must grab hold of me. 
It must consume the church as we face the world of tomorrow. It must become not so much what we do as followers of Jesus, but who we are as followers of Jesus. Based on Peter's words, let me give you four B's to put into practice during times of spiritual famine. Letter A, be burdened. Peter spoke as a deeply burdened man. He wanted to make sure his hearers were devouring the word and sharing it with others. He was ready to make every effort as long as he lived. He never lost his burden for this. The Apostle Peter gave us an example of what it's like to be burdened for a society facing spiritual famine. He described Lot in one of his writings who lived in Sodom. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8, he said he was a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. And in a similar way, the apostle Paul walked around Athens, was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. We can't do much to alleviate spiritual famine around us until we have a similar concern within us. When we look at what's happening in the world today, what everybody's talking about, we've never had this before, I talk about people needing wisdom because wisdom is defined as doing the right thing without a precedent. And almost everything that we see today is without a precedent. Every day, if you turn on the news, you will hear something that you've never heard before. It's unprecedented. And it's not unprecedented good. It's unprecedented evil. It's people coming up with ways to do things that are against the holiness of God. And it's just unbelievable. The only way you can overcome that is to be burdened about this world and be determined that by the grace of God, you're going to have a part in turning that around. You know, we can't by ourselves change the world. I'm a preacher. I have a pretty wide pulpit. But the idea that I could change the world by myself is impossible. God could change anything he wants to change through any of us, and he could change the world through me if he chose to do it. If you got the attitude that I hear from some people, oh, well, it's just the way the world is, Pastor. You know, I know it's bad, but it's just the... No, it's not just the way the world is. If we don't care about it, if we're not concerned about it, if we're not burdened about it, we'll never do anything about it ourselves. And it starts with us. It starts in us. If we are not burdened enough to make the Bible central in our own lives, we got no reason to gripe. We got no reason to complain. Let's make sure we start where we should start, and then God will give us the ability to influence the people around us, and we can make a difference. We need to be burdened. <laughs> Secondly, we need to be students. Peter insists that we become personal students of Scripture. In 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, he says this, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter wanted us and those who would read his epistle to know Scripture. It didn't originate with human beings. Peter told us that. It came to us in a far different way. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter told us how to study the Bible, where to search it the way the prophets of old studied the Scripture, 1 Peter 1.10 says, intently and with the greatest care. How many of you remember reading the Bible because you knew you should, and after about a half hour, you've read a whole bunch of Scripture, and for the life of you, you can't remember one single thing that you read? All of us have done that. 
And Peter tells us that we have to study that word that way. We have to be diligent about it. You don't get any help by just reading volumes of Scripture. That's the kind of study we need if we're going to make a difference. Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe was converted by listening to a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham. Pretty soon, Warren Wiersbe, who was a dear friend of mine and a wonderful mentor, he said, I think Bible study is one of the most exciting things I ever do. He said, I've been living with the Bible ever since I got saved that night at a Youth for Christ rally. And when I study the Word, it always tells me something. I feel sorry for people who read it and put the Bible back on the shelf and forget about it. He said, in all my conference ministry, I've tried to get people excited about the Bible. There's so much there that people ignore, and they shouldn't do that. I find that when I trace the cross references, when I take time to pray and meditate, God says something to me, then I can share that with others. So the joy of Bible study is not just in learning something for myself in the abstract. The joy of Bible study is seeing your life changed because of what the Bible is saying in your life. Begin today. Learn to be a student of the Bible. You know, there is no excuse for us in this time of this generation not to be a student of the Scripture because you can take out your phone and you can find Bible study apps that will go way beyond anything we have ever known up until this time. If you are serious about studying the Bible, don't say, I don't know how to begin. There's no reason for us to be biblically ignorant and not to do the thing God calls us to do. Every one of us can take advantage of this incredible electronic age and engage in the Word of God. Begin today. Don't wait for any other time to pass. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those are the words of Jesus. So be burdened, be students, and be shepherds. Peter had a special word of instruction for pastors and Bible teachers, so I'm preaching to myself here for a moment. He said, 1 Peter 5, 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. In using the term shepherd, he was undoubtedly thinking of his own experience years before when Jesus walked with him along the shoreline of Galilee. The Lord asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, yes, and yes, replied Peter. (laughs) Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If I could do anything to influence today's evangelical churches around the world, it would be a clarion call to return to solid biblical teaching in the pulpit. Substantial sermons from biblical texts. Unfortunately, what is happening so much to our younger guys who are standing in the pulpit every week is they pull something off of the internet and preach that instead of digging into the Word of God and getting God's truth. You see, what happens when they do that is this. Obviously, the people in their church get something warmed over that they haven't spent much time in. The real problem is the pastor himself is robbed from the incredible joy of independent Bible study and learning what the Word of God says. And then his life is changed, and through his changed life, he's a much better communicator. You can't really be an effective preacher if all you do is grab some notes the night before you preach that somebody else wrote and get up and recite them and say amen. 
that will leave you malnourished and it will starve the people that you preach to. There's no reason to do that. We can be preachers of the Word of God and we can teach people the Scripture. We need to do that. If you're listening, watching, and you're a pastor, please hear me. If there's any reason to survive in the ministry for 40 years, here it is. I've never, ever tried to be a student of any other major thing. I am a student of the Word of God. I, I tell people, people ask me, why do you preach the Word of God like that? And I say, well, that's all I know how to do. I know how to do that. I preach the Word of God. I study the Word of God. I broadcast the Word of God. I televise the Word of God. I write messages about the Word of God. I write books on the Word of God. I provide comment and content for the the internet and the web on the Word of God. My whole life is centered in one thing. And every day I get up, that's basically what I think about. And I think about that mostly during the day. And then every Sunday, I have an exam in front of all these people. Did I do my homework? And am I prepared? I can't imagine what it would be like to stand in front of an audience of people who came to church to be nourished up in the good Word of God and not have done my homework. You can't do that and be a faithful servant of the Lord. Finally, to ease the spiritual famine of the world, we need to be evangelistic. Be burdened, be students, be shepherds, and finally be evangelistic. 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25 says, Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The best method I know of evangelism, it's the best I've ever read, is Peter's own strategy. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. He said, you don't have to go buttonhole people, chase them down the block, even knock on their door. But if you're going to be a faithful Christian, be ready if somebody asks you a question. When I was working on the freight docks, when I was going to seminary, I actually had people come up to me and say, why are you the way you are? Well, let me tell you why I am the way I am. Because it goes way beyond me. And that's the kind of question we should be ready to answer. Why are you different? How is it that you made it through this pandemic and you aren't blown away by it? You were hurt by it, but you still have a smile on your face and there's a joy in your heart. Why are you the way you are? If somebody asks you that question, do you know the answer? That's the best method of evangelism you will ever have. Be ready to answer when somebody asks you. And the reason they're going to ask you is because they've seen something in your life that's different than others. So the way to banish spiritual famine in the world is one person at a time. We turn the tide as we share the gospel. And this is the world's only hope that we have in these last days. So if we fail to preach the gospel, we allow the problems to run rampant in our churches and in our culture. My job isn't to go out and solve all the problems. I know everybody wants you to give an answer for this or that and all these things that are happening. If I do that, who's going to preach the gospel? So I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to give up my pulpit for a soapbox because a soapbox is a long way from being the priority of God. God's priority is the preaching of his word. So for all of us, whether we're students or teachers, whether we're congregants or pastors, we must teach and preach the word of God. The spiritual famine has started 
If you go to a church and nobody has a Bible, you might want to keep looking. (laughs) Because a church that doesn't have the Word of God at the center of it really has nothing to offer you. And you will not grow there, and your children will not grow there. Make sure that you're in a church where the Word of God is taught and Christ is lifted up, because that's what will make a difference in your life. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today as we have wrapped up this message on spiritual famine, a unique way for the prophet Amos to remind us that without the Word of God, there is no life. Tomorrow, here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about Jerusalem, a geographical prophecy. I'm really excited about this particular lesson because we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to Israel in a few months. Uh, In March of 2024, the 12th through the 22nd of March, we're going to visit Jerusalem, and we'll have a whole bunch of people with us. We'd love for you to join us. We'll be visiting Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. We'll have Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and many others with us to minister. And uh, you can go with us by getting information from davidjeremiah.org slash events. Once again, davidjeremiah.org slash events. And we'll see you tomorrow right here on this good station. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is encouraging you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Tawasson, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Plus the bonus resource, Warning Signs of the End Times. They're yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Where Do We Go From Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. History tells us that when Julius Caesar landed on Britain's shores, he took his soldiers to the cliffs of Dover where they could look down on their ships below. What the army saw was their ships engulfed in flames. 
Caesar had ordered their ships burned so there could be no retreat. Their only chance for survival was to conquer the island, which they did. That reminds me of Jesus' words to his disciples, that to follow him, they needed to take up their cross. That is, they needed to commit their lives to him and the kingdom of God. There was to be no retreat. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of commitment on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.